Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Just read one verse today to begin with, and we'll read a whole bunch of other verses. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. In the New Living Translation, it says this. And listen, if you are a note taker, um, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and you can search the event for this church, for this service, and you can get all the notes, all the scriptures that you're going to need to follow along. Uh, If you want to just kind of sit back and relax and then get the notes afterwards, you can. All right? So verse 20. But we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Lord, we thank you for the declarations that you make over us, the identity that you give us as your children and as, uh, as members of your kingdom. And Lord, we just pray today that you would help us to understand what you're saying to us, understand how that affects uh, everything about us. And I pray, God, that we would be committed to living a life that is pleasing to you and honoring to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, for the last several weeks, we've been within this series called The Reborn Identity, and we've been diving deep into Scripture to find out about that identity. Jesus said we have to be born again. We have to be reborn. So if we're truly followers of Jesus, then what does that mean uh, for our lives, for the choices that we make, for our rights and responsibilities, uh, all the ways we define ourselves, all the ways we live our life should be affected by uh, our identity as believers. So we've been taking, we've been taking declarations straight from the scripture uh, each week to help us understand that identity. And this week's declaration comes right from the scripture that we just read, and that is this, I am a citizen of heaven. I am a citizen of heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can say that. You're a citizen of heaven. Now, before you write that off, you go, John, that's, that's really, that's sweet, and that's, that's quaint, and, and that's nice. That just seems like useless trivia, or it seems like some sweet by-and-by kind of stuff. Um, it, it, let me help you understand this. This is not about just having a membership card in a, to a foreign government. It's not a casual affiliation with another country. This is a, a really interesting word, this, this concept of citizenship, and I want, you to, I want us to take a little time and understand it um, before, we, before we dive into the, the meat of the word here today. So uh, if you look at the King James Version, you're going to see the word is translated differently. I want you to see this uh, in, in the King James. It says, for our, our abiding is in heaven, or our conversation is is in heaven. Depending on which translation you read, you're going to read it uh, translated different uh, in different ways. The original word is either abiding or it's citizenship or it's conversation, but the original word really means community. It means community. And it's about it's not just about where you live, but it's about how you live. 
It's about what you do. It's about the, con- the conduct of your life. It's about what you say. It's about what you do. It's about how you carry yourself. So it's a very um, nuanced word. And when you put all of that together, saying, I am a citizen of heaven, means that you're not a lone wolf. You're not a free agent. It means you're, you're part of a community where how you act and what you say and how you live affects every other member of the community. See, Jesus never conceived a, uh, a version of Christianity where we got to do it by ourselves. There, there was no lone wolf Christianity. It's always been about community. And so if there's, if there's this temptation now in our world, because people are flawed and because uh, church hurt is real and it's difficult, there's sort of this trend to just, just de-church and just do it all by yourself. But that's not the way it was designed. We are, we are to be in community with each other. And as a matter of fact, we already are whether we realize it or not, and whether we're acting on that or not. You say, listen, yeah, John, I know we're part of the community because we're all children of God, so that means we're all in the same family. Listen, it's closer than that. It's the community that we're in is closer than family. There's a lot of members of the same family um, who can't stand each other, right? There's lots of members, you don't have to say uh, amen too enthusiastically, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Lots of, lots of, uh, of, of family members that don't have anything to do with each other. Like, like some of them wouldn't spit on you if you were on fire, right? That's, that's how close some families are. So when you say citizen of heaven, you're not just members of the same family, you're members of the same body. You're members of the same body. I'm going to go to this green mic, Robbie, because this, this one keeps cutting out, all right? may not be distracting for you. It's really distracting for me. There you go. All right. So, uh, so this thing's being held together by tape anyway, so uh, it makes, it's not surprising whatsoever. So listen, we're, we're not just members of the same family. We're members of the same body, and I want to show that to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ. So the body of Christ mimics the, the, the human body that God created. Uh, look at verses 25 through 27. He continues to have this conversation. And he said, this, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. Look at this. If one, parts, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of that body. You see that? What we do or don't do affects every other part of the body. So when we just take our toys and go home, when we refuse to participate in the community of heaven of which we are a citizen, it hurts everybody. It it cripples the body. I saw somebody the other day that I knew had had uh, foot surgery and had, had had an accident and had to have surgery on her foot. And, um, and I saw her running around the other day, and, and I knew it, that she had to be hurting the way she was walking. And I said, how's your foot? Which was the obvious, the answer was obvious. How's your foot? She said, it hurts. And last night she said it was swollen because I've been on it and, and all that kind of thing. And I said, well, you know, shouldn't you be wearing a boot? or a cast, or something, and she said, yeah, but when I put the heavy boot on, it makes my foot 
feel better, but it hurts my back because it's so heavy. And, and I, I just thought as, as we were going through this message this week, I was just thinking some part of her foot stopped working properly because of the, the accident, which affected her entire foot. And then it caused her to change how she walked, which affected her back, right? And, and everybody knows what that's, what that's like. When one part of your body is injured, sometimes it causes injuries in other parts of your body. Our body is unbelievably intricately, uh, but weld is a well-designed machine with built-in redundancy to help us adjust when things go wrong. But eventually, if enough stuff goes wrong, it breaks down the body. Now, being a follower of Jesus means that you are a citizen of heaven. You are part of the community. You are part of the body. You're not just the hermit on the hill, right? You're not just the curmudgeon in the corner. You are an active part of the community of heaven, doing whatever you can to help all the other parts of the body. So when you hear citizen, don't think same country, think same community, Okay, when you hear citizen, don't think same family, think same body. All right, so we are citizens of heaven. Now we we understand what the now we understand what the word means. Let's see uh, how it plays out in our lives because what country you're from has a huge influence on your identity as a person. So here's just a couple of things today. A couple of things that, that I want us to talk about that when you can say, I am a citizen of heaven, that these are things that you have. These are things that you have as a result of that declaration. Here's the first thing. You say, I'm a citizen of heaven. That means I have a king. I have a king. I want to show you this. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or may your name be kept holy May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Now, Jesus said to pray that what's going on in heaven, which is our community of which we are a part, we're citizens, make that, that we pray that what's going on in heaven would come to earth, would be done on earth. Jesus said, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. But, but here's the operative word there. It's kingdom. Kingdom. The community of heaven is a kingdom. So if we're citizens of heaven, it means we're members of a kingdom. Now, I don't want to be too, you know, like on the nose here, but if we're part of a kingdom, it means we have a king. And not just any king, but the king above all kings and the Lord above all lords. Now listen, I know we're Americans and, and we start to twitch when we think about being under a king because it's not very democratic. And we went through the, the whole Revolutionary War to, to get our independence from, great, from the kings and queens of Great Britain. But, but in, a, in, a, uh, in a monarchy, in a kingdom, you are not free to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, or if you want. In a kingdom, whatever the king says is what the king gets. Right? Whatever he says goes. He rarely requests, he typically decrees or orders. And he expects those orders and decrees and commands to be obeyed. I think part of uh, the problem in America with Christianity is that we've allowed our political sensibilities to pollute our spiritual responsibilities. We, we've allowed our political sensibilities to influence negatively or pollute our spiritual responsibilities. We have a responsibility to serve the king. 
And guess what? It's not up for a vote. He doesn't really negotiate. He, he really just issues commandments, not suggestions. And listen, it's not just because God can. Don't question his, his character here. He, it's not a cosmic abuse of power when he does that. It's not arrogance. He, it's, as a matter of fact, it would be impossible for God to be arrogant because there's no way for him to think more highly of himself than he actually is in reality. So by definition, God can't be arrogant. He, he doesn't just have a God complex. He is incredibly powerful, but he's not only powerful. He is also just and good and holy and pure and loving and wise. And so when he tells you to do something, it's not just because he wants it done because he can tell you. He's telling you to do something because it's for the good of the kingdom. Because this king is always about the good of the kingdom. But it's not just for the good of the kingdom. He's promised us that ultimately everything would work together for our good as well. And that's a promise of God, and he is incapable of lying. He's not just a strong and demanding king. He's a good king. He's a good king. But we have a king when we're citizens of heaven. And I think it's important to talk about uh, this kingdom concept because it's, it's a biblical concept, but... Unfortunately, it's not one that we talk about very much, especially when we present the gospel of salvation. We don't talk about this. Have you ever um, bought anything uh, that was based on what the salesperson told you, and then when you got it home, it didn't quite work the way it was promised? Have I, am I the only one that gets that treatment sometimes? I was talking to somebody the other day about internet service, and they said, when we moved here, we asked AT&T if we could get internet service, and they said, absolutely. And then they got here, and the install guy said, absolutely not. So the, the salespeople and the install people don't always communicate, right? And, and it's, there's almost nothing more frustrating than being told something would work a certain way, and it doesn't work that way. I am afraid that the version of Christianity that we've been selling in American churches bears no resemblance to the one that God offers us in the Bible. There, there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible, no magic words, no invitation to sign the card, shake the hand, pray the prayer, get your get-out-of-hell-free card, and then go on your merry way. The invitation that Jesus extends to us is to change kingdoms. That's what he's really extending to us. Change us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The invitation is to become part of the community of heaven where we're ruled by King Jesus, where we serve the interests of the king and the kingdom. There is no version of Christianity that exists in the word where we just get to do our own thing. Where we, we even say it, but we, we say it so much and so flippantly that we don't even listen to what we're saying. What do the artists and the athletes say when they get the big win? And I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not just Savior, Lord. Lord. It's a term of royal respect. He is our Lord and our King. He's our Master, not just our Savior. Listen, He's both... Or he's neither. 
He's both or he's neither. There's no a la carte menu. You don't just get to pick the parts you want. You can't have one without the other. Listen to, listen to this. John, I think you've gone off the, off the reservation here. Let, let's, let's get it back to the Word of God. Yes, please. Let's get it back to the Word of God. Listen to what Jesus said about becoming his follower. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 28. Jesus said, if any of you want to be my disciple, you have to hate everybody else by comparison. Your mother and father, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. He said, well, hang on, what if I just pray the prayer? You can't be a disciple of Jesus without being willing to do that. And if you, don't carry, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But if you, but don't begin, don't begin what? Don't begin being my disciple until you count the cost. For who would begin construction on a building without first calculating the cost to see if they have enough money to finish it? Look at verse 33. He sums it up this way. So you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. You're like, John, hang on now. Count the cost. I thought salvation was free. Salvation is free. But discipleship will cost you everything. Amen. Listen, our salvation is paid in full. Ephesians chapter 2 says it. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works, lest any of you should boast about your own ability. Salvation is all Jesus. He paid it all. But if you keep reading in Ephesians 2, you're going to get to verse 10 where he says we are God's masterpiece and that we have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. There is something for us to do. There is an expectation that once you count the cost and enter the kingdom that you will serve the king. Amen. You say, John, I just, I just believe that we should just love Jesus and that should be enough. Me too. But look at what loving Jesus means according to Jesus. John 14 and verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. Verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones. Listen, not just agree that they're good commandments. Not just agree that he said it. If you accept my commandments and obey them... You're the one, you're the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I'll love them and reveal myself to each one of them. Love should translate to action. We love because He first loved us. We serve Him because we love Him and because we want other people to experience the love of God in the way we have. He is both Savior and Lord. And our reborn identity is defined by our relationship with the king and our response to the king. All right? So when we, when we say we have citizenship in heaven, we first of all have a king. Secondly, what else do you have? I have a kingdom mindset. I have a kingdom mindset. You know, uh, when we read the opening scripture, we said that the word citizen carried connotations of lifestyle. That's because we're part of the community of heaven. We will conduct ourselves in ways that reflect well on the king. 
And, and it makes sense when you think about it because every kingdom or culture or nation, even every community has certain ways of doing things, certain expectations, certain things that are acceptable or unacceptable. And once you're a part of that nation, the assumption is that you will adopt the culture of that nation, or at least that should be the assumption. Now, Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 that we just read, we are citizens of heaven. But he started the conversation back in verse 17. So let's look at that. Verse 17, Philippians chapter 3, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. He, Paul says, live like I live if you want to honor the king. In other words, Paul said, I've been a citizen of this thing for a long time. I know how to operate in the kingdom, so watch me and do what I do. There's this expectation that, that we will consider the king's perspective, we'll consider the king's uh, preferences in how we conduct ourselves. The king gets a say-so in what we do or don't do. Now let's look at verse 18. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. This verse stopped me in my tracks as I read it. I heard someone say one time, your life is speaking so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying. Paul says, according to this, it would appear that there were people who were saying they were lovers of the cross, but whose lives spoke louder than their words. They weren't lovers of the cross. They were lovers of themselves and enemies of the cross. <clears throat> and that's a sobering thought. But it's true according to this verse. Listen, if what you do and what you say are at odds, God ignores your words. If what you do and what you say are at odds, God ignores your words. That verse says their conduct showed that they were enemies of the cross. Not their words. Throughout the Bible, God has called people out for the disconnect between what they say and what they do. He said over and over again, your words sound good, but your heart is far from me. See, words are outside stuff. Your heart is inside stuff. Man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. Jesus said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. So every action and attitude of our lives begins with our mindset. If you change the mindset, you change the person. Kingdom mindset, you have a kingdom conduct. Worldly mindset, you have worldly conduct. So if we're going to serve the king, we have to have a kingdom mindset so that our conduct and our words will line up. Look at verse 19. We'll keep reading in this passage. Headed down to 20 where he says we're citizens. They are, who are? The people who, who say they're lovers of the cross but are actually enemies of the cross. This is the conduct. He said they're headed for destruction. Despite their confession, they're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Regardless of what these people claimed, their lives declared they were not truly lovers of Jesus and recipients of what he did for them on the cross. Because if they loved him, what would they do? 
They keep his commandments. When you serve the king, your concern is about him and how to best serve his interests. He's, his interests are always on eternal things. He's always more concerned about eternal and spiritual things. These enemies of the cross were only connected, they were only concerned about the here and the now. Their focus was on the things of the world. Their feelings were their masters. Their fate was destruction. When you're from a different country, it's pretty clear to everyone around you. And too many people who, who claim the name of Jesus look and act and think just like everybody else in the world. Amen. You say, but John, Christians aren't perfect. Christians make mistakes. I get that. I would agree with that. I, I make lots of mistakes. But if your life is solely focused on yourself and your preferences without the slightest concern for the will of God or the good of the kingdom, then maybe you never actually surrendered your life to the king in the first place. Listen, if old things never passed away, then perhaps it means that all things have not become new. At the very least, being reborn, being a follower of Jesus, should start changing your mindset from selfish to surrendered. You might be making mistakes along the way, and you will, but you're doing all you can do to get closer to the king and make a difference in his kingdom. And then verse 20 contrasts all that with, but we are citizens of heaven. In other words, Paul's saying we don't act like the world acts. We don't act like the enemies of the cross. People who serve the king can't allow themselves to have a worldly mindset. Why? Because you can't serve two masters. You're either going, Jesus said you're either going to love one and hate the other or vice versa. And if you're focused on building your own kingdom, you won't have time and energy to build his. There has to be a kingdom mindset that follows through your thoughts and your attitudes and your actions. Let me show you this, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, we've already said, I am resurrected, right? Set your sights on the realities of heaven. That's set your mind on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Look at verse 2. makes it more clear. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, when it says think about the things of heaven, it's not, just, it's not encouraging you to sit around and think about the streets of gold and the gates of pearl. It's the, it, the, the, the kingdom, the community of heaven, the kingdom where Jesus lives. Think about the kingdom. Think about the priorities of the king is what he's encouraging us to do. How you conduct yourself reflects your mindset. So here's a question today. What are you thinking about? Is it always about me and mine? Or is there a place for the will of the king in your decision making? It's not taking God your 10-year plan and asking him to make it happen and sign off on it. It's starting with a blank sheet and asking him to fill it. That's a completely different mindset. Completely different approach to life. But that's the approach that he's asking us to do as citizens of heaven. 
It was their conduct that, Paul, uh, that, that showed Paul they were enemies of the cross. And that begins with a kingdom mindset. All right? You say, John, listen, this, this message, th- this whole series really has been really heavy. And as a matter of fact, I've got another point that I'm just going to save. I'm going to put it in my pocket. We'll do it another time. Because this is enough to deal with. Okay, we have to we have to think about this. You say, John, this whole series has been kind of scripture after scripture after scripture. It's been soul searching stuff. Why are we doing this? I'm glad you asked. Two reasons. One, I'm doing it uh, out of out of concern. Both of them are out of concern for people, because number one, I've seen way too many followers of Jesus who truly do love him and are trying their best to follow him, but have no idea who they are in Christ. No idea what really what he did for them. No idea what the expectations are. No idea what, what, how that should affect their everyday lives. They're, they're doing the best they know how to do, but they just don't know. And then secondly, I've seen far too many people who think they're followers of Jesus, but whose lives indicate that they are enemies of the cross. So <clears throat> let me caution you about one thing, and then I'll close. I could... Um, I should have modeled for this so you get this image burned into your brain. I could put on a dashiki and the headgear and I could learn to speak Yoruba, but it would not make me a citizen of Nigeria. Okay? I can change everything I want to change about the outside. It will not grant me citizenship. Please don't hear this message as a call to just change your habits. It's a call to check your heart. Okay? Do you understand the difference? Citizenship in heaven is only granted one way. It's by completely surrendering to the king. And listen, it's by renouncing all other citizenships and loyalty. Your citizenship in heaven should come before any other loyalty, any other thing that you have in your life. So if you say, I'm I'm an American Christian, I would say to you, you've got it backwards. You're a Christian first and foremost. And if anything else comes before that, if it's a job, if it's a race, if it's, a, if it's an interest, if it's a socioeconomic thing, if it's a citizenship thing, a patriotic thing, whatever it is, don't make an idol out of it. Your citizenship in heaven comes before everything else. And if it doesn't, then you have to repent for the sin of idolatry. So citizenship is only granted when we surrender ourselves to the king and renounce everything else. We, we have to admit that we're sinners and that we can't save ourselves. We have to accept that he, what we, he went through on the cross was because of us and for our benefit. We have to confess that we're sinners and truly repent of our sins, not just ask forgiveness. See, forgiveness is what's granted to, to you by God after you repent. Repentance is about turning around. It literally means to rethink That's why a kingdom mindset is so important. It's your commitment to rethinking everything in your life from a kingdom perspective. Repentance isn't about guilt for doing the wrong things. It's a commitment to start doing the right things. To turn and face in the other direction. 
to not continue to be doing what you've been doing or going the way you've been going or living the way you've been living. It's a commitment to not be like the people in the community around you, but to go all in with the community of heaven. And when you do, he welcomes you into the kingdom, into the family of God, into the body of Christ, and he changes your citizenship. And no amount of behavior modification or self-sacrifice can make you a subject of the king without an invitation from the king. So this series is a call to check your heart and check your citizenship papers to make sure that you're living out your reborn identity as a servant of the king. Does that make sense? Stand with me, please. You might be looking around the room as I, as I have been and think, why in the world would you preach this message to this bunch of mature, um, knowledgeable individuals? And I wonder that myself sometimes. But I checked my heart over and over again this week to make sure that this word was for this house and for all who would watch and listen. And, 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 and I believe it is. And I would encourage you, no matter how long you've been following the Lord, check your heart. Paul said, be careful when you think you stand, lest you fall. He said, when you think you've got it all together, you are primed and ready for a takedown that you don't see coming. So check your heart today. And make sure that the things that you do are not out of some sort of social contract or some sort of social, cultural Christianity, but that you are actually living your life for the, for the glory of the King and for the benefit of the advancement of His kingdom. All right? That's the call. We're going to pray. This altar is open. You're welcome to come and pray. You can pray in your seat. You can pray whenever and wherever you, you sense the Spirit draw you. But I would encourage you to spend the next few minutes while I pray searching your heart and asking God, asking God what you need to hear and what you need to do as a result of it. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we just we bless you today. We thank you for the opportunity to, to have your word in written form, that we can read it and we can understand it. Lord, I pray that you would draw, uh, that you would draw us to yourself. Lord, that you would draw us close to the light and that the light from your throne would shine into our hearts, even the deepest and darkest corners of our minds where we don't even like to go. God, would you reveal to us motive? Would you reveal to us um, what's hidden in all those places in our hearts that we could make sure that our motives are pure towards you, that we, our integrity is intact towards you, that we are surrendered to you, every area, everything, because we want our lives to honor the King and advance your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of sin, that you would reveal wrong mindsets and motives, and that you would help us today in the name of Jesus to be, to be pleasing servants of the King, citizens of heaven, members of the community of faith, 
members of the body of Christ in particular that we can encourage one another and, and, and help one another and that every part of the body fitly joined together would start working as one body, as one mighty army advancing on this planet. Lord, for your honor and for your glory to go and make disciples, which is the mission you've given to us. God, forgive us for not playing our part, for not stepping in so that the, the body of Christ around the world is limping or crawling because we just don't have all the parts working together. Forgive us, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to repent, to turn around and to join, lock arms with our brothers and sisters of faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.